to Afraid Not Podcast with Jill McCormick and Robin Wall. We believe that our stories matter and make us who we are. Every other week, we invite guests to join us and share their stories. Even though our stories have nots, we are not afraid. Our stories are afraid. They are not perfect. We believe the truth of our mess makes us stronger. We hope that God uses these stories to encourage and strengthen your faith as you trust in Him. Our theme verse is Colossians 1, 17, which says, And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together, even our frayed knots. Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Jill McCormick. And I'm Robin Wall. And this is Afraid Not Podcast. We are so glad you're listening today. We have a really exciting episode today, a great conversation with a dear friend of mine named Anne, and we're going to be sharing her first name only with you because we are trying to protect the work that she and her family are doing in Southeast Asia. They are Christian workers and have been over there for over 20 years, and we are just enthralled with the conversation we got to have today. Yeah, you're going to hear about what is happening in their country and the exciting things uh, that are going on and, and how sometimes it takes a long time to see the fruit. So even though we may not right away see some thing happen, it took them eight years to start seeing fruit. But once they did, it it really took off. So listen in. Too afraid now? Hi, Anne. Thank you so much for joining us today from Cambodia. Hi. Hi, I'm glad to be here. It's pretty amazing that we can see each other on this little video screen. Our listeners won't get to see that, but that we can hear each other's voices and have this conversation while you're literally half a world away from us, 13 hours ahead of us, already in the next morning while Jill and I are in an evening. So, what a marvel that is. <laughs> and thank it you really, for taking time. It really is. I mean, I'm being able to just wake up in the morning and talk to friends in America here and while I'm getting my kids ready to school. And yeah, it's fun. Wow. It is. Would you start us off today with telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and your family, where you live and what your day-to-day life kind of looks like in a, just as a little bit of a nutshell. Okay. My name's Anne, and I am a Christian worker overseas. I live in Cambodia, where my family, we've been here 20 years, 21 years this year. And um, I have four children. My oldest is 17, and my youngest is 10. And they are online school slash homeschooled here in a rural area. We live near the Vietnam border. It's pretty far from a city. And um, my husband and I uh, run an NGO, which is a non-government organization to help the people of Cambodia and actually throughout Southeast Asia. Uh, we run a water, ceramic water filter factory. And um, me as a nurse practitioner, I do the health component and health teaching in the villages. That's a lot. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> um, I actually, and listeners, I am so fortunate. I actually got to know Anne through just the days in and out of college at Oklahoma Baptist University back in, I think it would have been 1991, 2, 3-ish that we were there together um, mm-hmm. and had so much fun. We were actually even in a social club together on campus, and that was a lot of fun. Theta Sigma. Yeah, Theta Sigma that's right. Yes, and... Um, at that time, we would never have known that your life in Cambodia was what the Lord had in store for you. But what a beautiful story. So um, we would really love to hear. Well, just tell us first how you met Mark. And then um, let's just let the Lord lead you and just share what you will of your story with us today. Okay. Well, I guess I should start before I met Mark. Um I grew up in Bethany or Oklahoma City area. And, oh, wow. <laughs> and um, grew up in a Christian family, really good church. Uh, over the years, I attended camp, Falls Creek, Super Summer. And one summer, I went to Falls Creek. I think I was about 15, 16 years old. 
And they had a call to missions. And it was actually the very first time they had missionary speakers. And it's the first time I've actually heard missionaries speak about their work. But I felt that night that God laid it on my heart to move across the world and to do that kind of work, to be a missionary. And so that night I went forward, devoted my life to that. Uh, Fast forward a bit, decided to go to OBU, Oklahoma Baptist University, thought that would best prepare me and uh, decided to be a nurse. Thought that would be really useful overseas. So when I met Mark was when actually the very first day I pulled up at OBU to move into the dorm. And um, as my dad got a bit confused and didn't pull up at the freshman area, but instead he pulled up at the upperclassman area where, (laughs) (laughs) who would eventually be my husband, Mark, was there helping people move in. It's kind of, it's called Welcome Week. And they actually, the upperclassmen helped move in the freshmen, totally innocent, right? So he sees me and he comes running over to the storm and helps me carry my bags upstairs. He meets my parents, and it was, he was the very first person I met at OBU. Oh, my goodness. Literally <laughs> the first person you met. That's The amazing. very first person, yes. And um, I kept my eye on him, and it was about a month, and he asked me on our first date, and here we are. <laughs> that was, We've been married 25 years, so that was about 29 yeah, years ago that uh, all yeah, that began. How exciting. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've got to mention when we first started talking about missions, um, as we were dating and within a few months, we actually came to the realization that it was pretty serious and had some conversations. And I told him about my call to missions. I had a minor in missions and actually he physically laughed at me. Oh no. <laughs> and said, yeah. And um and said that he would love to take a mission trip. That would be exciting, but had no desire to do missions. So <laughs> I really struggled with that in my walk with the Lord. Um, but after time with the Lord, I feel like he just assured me that Mark was the one that I was to be with. At that point, I actually gave up my missions minor. I thought it was maybe just a teenage thing, and I went on to pursue nursing and marry Mark. And then fast forward and as a nurse practitioner, do we keep going? No, yeah. <laughs> at that point he was not, he did not feel the call to missions. No. And I probably should say, especially as he's looking at me right now, <laughs> he is actually a pastor's kid and um, he saw some painful things within the church that um, he was a follower of Christ, but had no desire to serve in ministry. At that point, there was a lot of healing that needed to take place and surrender. So it was in God's timing that God called him later. We could talk more about that. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yes. All right. Let's keep going. Um, So Mark and I joined a great church in Oklahoma City um, led by a wonderful pastor, Ted Kirsch. Oh, Village Baptist, right? Yes. Village Baptist Church. Village Baptist. Baptist. I wonder if you were there when we were first married. We're sisters. I know. (laughs) how funny please please continue okay so at Villas Baptist Church we just really got involved Um, Ted was excellent at discipling us and leading us and being a good good mentor and Mark went through a lot of transitions during that time just the idea of surrender and um, he just turned his whole you know he was a believer already following the Lord going to church but never had fully surrendered his call and his life to the Lord and he did that one Sunday and probably within just a couple of weeks later uh, Ted Kirsch had talked about um, meeting a, um, a missionary from overseas that worked in this area. And the and they were talking about doing unique things like testing water and meeting physical needs in order to share the gospel. And after Ted had met, he said, I, I would like to take our church family to go over to Cambodia and do a trip. So Mark, looking for the adventure that he does, he was like, oh, that sounds fun. You know, so he he signed up. Um, about that time, I was graduating from nurse practitioner school. I also had a job lined up with a surgeon. You know, he had a job going in physical therapy, and we were kind of just set with our lives in America. Didn't think much about it. But Mark joined that trip. And after returning from Cambodia, uh, he came home and basically for about a week, he was in jet lag. You know, the the 12 hour, 13 hour difference can take a toll. But then about a week later, we went to church where they presented uh, this video and some some photos of the work that they did. And he was up there sitting with the team. I sat in the back of my, my parents and I'm watching this video and 
the Lord just said to me, you are to move to Cambodia. I mean, the video showed children. I'm a pediatric nurse practitioner, but just children, naked, round bellies and malnourished and hardly anyone there to help them. And it just broke my heart. So in that moment, I said, of course, Lord, I will follow you, but you've got to talk to my husband. (laughs) So actually, right after that service, we started walking out and I walked right up to him and I said, I think we need to move to Cambodia. And he said, I know. (laughs) I said, no, I really think we need to. He said, I know. Yeah. We need to sell everything and move to Cambodia. And he said, I think so too. Wow. And that was, it's like, that was one of those goosebump moments Mm -hmm. that, you know, when you hit hard times uh, serving God overseas, it's that moment that you go back to and say, okay, God did this. And this was not us thinking this. So, you know, it helped us remain faithful in those hard times. (laughs) It's so faithful of him that he spoke to you both separately at the exact same moment, like all the, the little um, Sunday night service of sharing the videos and whatever, talking, that was the moment and your hearts were being drawn. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love that he said, uh, I know. <laughs> those, those, I mean, it was, we went on the field nine months later. I mean, it was wow, so life changing. Yeah. I finished my degree. We said no to the jobs. We sold our house, our cars, we sold everything. And it was exciting. We put everything into a few bags and that was it. That's all we owned. That's fun. It was liberating. It was liberating. (laughs) And how old were you and Mark at that time? Oh goodness. 24, 25, 25. I think I was, yeah, about 24. Wow. Wow. Ready to take on the world and move to the other side of the globe. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Family take that. That was really funny. My parents that night, Actually, Mark and I get in the car and we're getting ready to go eat Ted's Mexican with my parents. And he says to me in the car, okay, we've made this decision. We're serious, but please don't bring this up with your parents right now. Let's, let's work through this better. Okay. So I said, okay. And we go to Ted's and I just couldn't help it. <laughs> you know. So my mom and I are walking to the bathroom and I tell her, and at first she just kind of went panicked. She's like, you can't do that. You're too old to learn a new language. You've got a job. I mean, she's just kind of panicked. And then probably by the end of the dinner, went back to the table, told my dad, you know, my dad's like, he actually took it really well. He's like, I could see you doing that. And by the end of the dinner, everyone was pretty settled with it. And actually my mom, she visited us about 12 times since then. And has been Aww. a big part of our work here and my number one supporter. So. so let's talk about that learning a new language. So you had to get there and learn an entire new, not just culture, but a whole new language, everything. So arriving here in Cambodia, I definitely hit culture shock from day one. Um, there were not very many of us uh, Americans there at that time. Uh, not much Christian work being done. Uh, it was like 0.01% Christian when we arrived. And we immediately began working. So we pulled into this village. It's outside the city, all these bad roads, drive into a pothole, drive out, finally got to this gate where these half-dressed people let us in. I mean, the shocking part to me is every man had a skirt on. I was like, and no shirt. And I was like, it was just that just little things that were like, what is going on? <laughs> so uh, we moved in actually with the same partners that the church had helped, helped, uh, helped with their work. So we moved in with those partners and began our first few months there with them and living in a village. And it, it was harder than I ever thought it would be those first few months. It really was everything, you know, from little things of there was no coffee. I couldn't find coffee. It took weeks to figure out where coffee was. So I had the worst headache, (laughs) you know, I can't speak to anybody. They're all talking about me and staring at me. And, you know, just that feeling of loneliness starts to grow. Like what in the world am I doing? And then um, progress forward. We started heading towards the holiday seasons and yeah, it was hard. It was lonely. I felt discouraged. There were tears for both of us. And there was a grieving, a grieving process, grieving the holidays with family, grieving the birthdays, grieving those things that we had to go through. And it took between six to eight months, I think, for us to really start turning back around. And of course, during that time, we were doing language. Uh, Back then, there was no language school. So we had uh, someone who spoke a little bit of English meet with us. We meet with myself and my, my husband and we got started. So one funny story about during that time, here I am a few weeks in just now learning language. 
um, barely able to say the words that they're speaking. And we're sitting in this little room in the middle of a, it's kind of like a jungle. I mean, there's just like a lake by us and there's just a little room that we're sitting in two chairs and one light, you know, and that's all we have. And we're sitting here talking and all of a sudden behind my teacher is a fire. The, the electrical line catches on fire and it's popping and there's flames going up and I don't know the word in Khmer for fire. And she didn't know the word in English. So I'm yelling fire, fire, fire. And she doesn't know what I'm saying. <laughs> So then all of a sudden sparks, she hears the sparks and jumps up. And so that day I learned the word for fire. And (laughs) (laughs) so we had to go get water and splash it out from the lake. And yeah, we survived. (laughs) (laughs) So you mentioned that it took over 20 months. Did you say over two years before it felt like you were actually settled in at ease with being able to communicate. Is that what you said? You know, what I said is um, it took about nine months until we felt like just, it, I would say happy, but we knew that we were supposed to push on and we'd be okay. That's when it just, that feeling of peace came over both of us. I think uh, during that time, be, and one of the reasons is because we began working in a refugee camp. A situation had come up right when we got on the ground, basically that, um, the government, when they wanted new land, they would burn out uh, people who were living there and then just come in the middle of the night, burn out, give them a tarp and a little bit of rice and a pot and send them off to some deserted area. So we began working in these camps. It was it was horrible. And it got our attention. And it's actually it was a good distraction. Christmas was very difficult. Our very first Christmas in the year 2001. And uh but we got a phone call from our partner and he said, I'm out here at one of these camps. And this woman has just walked up with a dead, with her baby and, and her baby's, her baby's dead. Her baby's dead. They had no food to um. feed their child. It was like a two year old. And she was, she was crying and just saying, can I have some wood so I can have a funeral and burn the body. And so he calls me that day and I'm like, Oh my goodness. So of course I throw together whatever bag of supplies I had and got in the car and that day forward, every single day I was at that camp. And God did two things during that time. First, he distracted me from my own uh, feelings of loneliness and woe is me and uh, really began healing my heart by seeing the pain of others, being able to relate deeply. Language came a lot quicker for me too. being able to be out there daily with them and urgently having to figure out how to say some important words. And <laughs> um, so my translator didn't know a lot of medical language. So yeah, and that really got uh, me kickstarted. And at the same time, Mark started going deeper, trying to develop the organization that we have today with the other leader to uh, yeah begin that organization. So wow. will you tell us about that, the product, your NGO that you use um, and it helps the people with their water. We'd love to hear about that because that was really an important way that the Lord opened doors for you, right? To get to the people. So I'd love to hear about that. And I'd love to share about it. It's an amazing miracle what God did with that. When people ask now, 20 years later, people ask, what was your plan? Can you show me your agenda of what you did? Absolutely not. God revealed what he wanted us to do day by day. We had even to this point now, we don't know three years from now where we're going to live or what we're going to do, but we have just learned that God reveals his plan to us in, in pieces. So that's the way it looked at the beginning. And the most amazing part is we were trying alongside this other family, we were trying different methods of testing water and also different methods of cleaning water. And um, the, the faucets you could turn on, there would be a faucet, like if we put one in and there would be water to certain areas, but the water would come out completely brown or orange from old pipes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we found out the wells in all of our area were contaminated with arsenic, oh. high levels of it, um, which is poisonous um, and deadly. So all these things started coming up and we knew we had to find solutions for water and the government was asking. Mm-hmm. So uh, the family we worked with, he's actually a PhD chemist. So um, he gave up his uh, tenureship at a college to come out, brought his family out there and out here. Then uh, so we joined him and really trying to figure out good solutions for water. It couldn't use we can't lose electricity, replacing bulbs, you know, those kinds of things we couldn't use like you would typically do in water treatment. And then that's when uh, we heard about a man overseas over in South America that was actually making clay pots. 
And it's something years ago, the Indians and Aztecs would make ceramic pots with a real tight porosity. They pour the water in and it would slowly drip out. And then that's where they had to get clean water. So uh, this man was working with an organization and they were testing it. And he was from Colorado. And so we began reading his material and realizing it was actually um, clean water. Good, it was good stuff. So we asked him to come over. So he flew over to where we were and spent a few months with us. And I just remember, I didn't know a whole lot about it. I'm dealing with the health. I'm seeing some sick people. And then one day our partner says, hey, get in the car. We need to go find potters. I said, okay. So we get in the car. We drive like six hours away to some place where they make pottery and ceramics. And then we put this family in our car. And they came back with us and they lived with us. <laughs> and so here we just have this little compound. We're all living together. You know, this how long did the family, America, this our family how, to long make they, how long did they live with you? Six years. Oh, wow. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. Not just yeah. for the <laughs> No, because so we began and we all had a, an area where we worked at and our homes were kind of on the side of that. So we, we you know, we had a little bit of our own space, a little bit. And then we'd spend every day together. But uh, within six to seven years, we were able to go from making hand pots to uh, developing actually the machinery for the first time. We had an engineer from America, several engineers that have come over and done that. And then God, I mean, it's just amazing that these weren't plans. It's just like step by step and need a prayer. And then the email came, you know what I mean? It's just like, I feel like just God just did everything. Yeah. So then we're able to partner with some colleges in the States from Stanford and um, other universities, South Carolina. They came and tested the water and we found we had some good stuff going and um, began the water filter factory. It began as a organization just to help the needy. And now at this day, it's a business that's actually running itself and operating with its own uh, as a business. So we and sold off. You and, you and Mark shared with us that one of the coolest things is don't you have a lot of people that are native people who actually work there and it provides jobs for their families. So it's and not just yes. you. It's amazing. So all the, every, all the components come from inside the country and all the workers are Cambodian people mm-hmm. and either hearing the gospel or have already accepted Christ throughout this whole process in these years. So it's really amazing. We've also are partnering in many other countries, some close countries and are going in and out of those places to begin other similar work. Yeah. Wow. Have you kept track of how many places you have brought your water to? How many different small villages? Or is it really too hard to even count? Too hard to count. I'm glaring at my, I'm looking at my husband right now. <laughs> when it comes to filter factor, he knows those answers. But uh, yeah, just too hard to count. And many countries would have, Many countries, probably over 20, would you say, about that many? Shipped to the Middle East. Yeah, in the Middle East, um, Africa, and then um, all around us, too, and up up north. Yeah, and the amazing part is here we have this factory. It's running. We're training. We're doing. We have people from the States helping, and they're living there, too, and they're doing their PhD, you know, to, to help us and to help them. And um, we'd have people come through. <clears throat> so many countries would send kind of ambassadors to learn about what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And they'd come over. And then um, some of them would say, we want to do this in our country. So we've had opportunities to send our Cambodian workers on airplanes for the first time to go to some other areas and teach those people how to do the filters there. And so it's been really cool opportunities to share in areas where even Mark and I wouldn't be welcome. So. Okay. But the gospel can be brought in with the ceramic pots. <laughs> and it still to this day is doing so. Yes. Yes. That's so beautiful. And of course, these, all of the people that are day by day using the water, they're no longer drinking water with arsenic. They are mm-hmm. drinking mm-hmm. clean water. Water. And the amazing thing too is, I mean, for years we have watched schools not have clean water for their students. Mm-hmm. So the students are dehydrated. Uh, and most of the schools didn't even have a bathroom. And so often behind the school will be a river, a creek, or a lake. They would be going to the bathroom back there. And then the kids would be bending over, scooping up water and drinking from that. Mm. And that's that's what we came into. And so we have worked hard all the way across this country, made it to every province, which is what they every state, you would say, in America, and have made sure that there's areas that uh, clean water can be purchased for a very low cost. Or we have also delivered them for free areas of great need. Wow. 
So you ended up having both of your children while you were over there then? Well, they have four. Oh, you have four children. Okay. I know. We multiply well. So (laughs) (laughs) we actually, um, all four of my children were born in Thailand. We had two born up in Northern Thailand in Chiang Mai and two in Bangkok. So that was, that was, those were some fun experiences. Um, at the time I had children, we weren't, uh, there were some struggles with having children here in Cambodia, um, safe hospitals, the blood supply, and getting them American citizenship were all issues. So uh, we had meetings up in Northern Thailand. And so we decided it was about the same time. We just stayed after the meeting about a month and um, delivered uh, my first two there. Uh, it's an interesting experience that that was very much um, the delivery room was one room with one bed and no machinery. <laughs> so it was a, it was a doctor with a stethoscope. Oh, wow. That's all we had. I couldn't even, it was funny because we, we toured the hospital during the daytime and there were great English speakers. We felt so comfortable with it, but what baby is born during the daytime? It never happens. Right. <laughs> so here I am in the middle of the night and there's no English speaking. And then I need some, just some pain medicine or some Tylenol and they don't even know what that is. So by maybe two, three and four, I figured it out. Have my ibuprofen on me, anything I need, I better bring it. So, <laughs> but I'll, I'll you have, you have a choice for a natural birth. You had a natural birth. <laughs> uh, it was, yeah. And unfortunately, I was okay with that. You know, we'd, we'd been reading. And I just, I had decided that. So it really matched what we were heading towards anyways. And everything was safe. It is interesting not having all your family and friends around, especially when we got to the third and fourth in Bangkok. So that was, that was difficult. So uh, yeah, people to watch your children for you. But we ended up having um, other Christian workers that were in that city um, help during that middle of the night. Do they have dual citizenships? Um, no, they do not. Yes. Not. Only America does that. Yeah. No other country does that. So, but by day two to three, it was a day three, day three, we had to, um, check out of the hospital and go straight to the embassy and get the passport pictures so that we can come back to Cambodia. So we had to get the, you know, the newborn baby to get them to open their eyes. <laughs> and, uh, take those pictures. So within a few weeks later, we could return to our home. So, but God did it all, you know. Wow. <laughs> How has God used your nurse practitioner skills to open doors for the gospel? And how I know that you're very involved with talking about health in villages and communities. And it's really been an, an open door. So will you talk about that and how God has used that and all your nursing skills? Oh, that'd be fun. Okay. When I when we first arrived and began looking at the health situations, I was very overwhelmed. I was very overwhelmed. It was hard to uh, live in our house where we had our needs met. We had running water and we had electricity most of the time. But then I would look out my window and there were little bamboo or tarp huts all around, no toilets, children running around naked. And it was overwhelming. You know, at first it was like, I didn't even know where to start. We began uh, doing some kind of clinic setting things where I would give out medicine, see the sick. But what that ended up turning out being is that the next time I went to continue the relationships, they just wanted more ibuprofen for that back pain, you know, that magic pill. So I found that to be very difficult. And that's when I worked alongside my translator to figure out how to teach health. Also, I realized that a lot of them were using some traditional medicine some that were not right and some that were, were effective. And so I began doing a lot of research with that and integrating that into some health lessons. So I can remember the very first time, and it had never really been done there. Anytime you mention learning something, they think you're talking about the children because the children go to school. But when you're an adult, you don't learn. You know, that's kind of was their concept. And, and still is today, actually. So when we uh, first began, we went down in the village and um, began teaching and I told the ladies what we we're going to do. And we ended up getting a big group of, I mean, 30 to 50 people, all ages. And we just began going down there every few days and teaching. I try out a lesson. And one day I brought a little stove and a little uh, pot and I made an herbal tea. And we just started doing some of these things. And it began, the Cambodians that I was working alongside did not believe that it would work, but um, they were shocked because the people out there loved it and they wanted more and more. So that was very exciting. And so um, I began 
building up a health team, training and teaching. Uh, at the same time, we're sharing the gospel and we didn't have very many believers, but uh, discipling those that began to believe and also sharing our faith with these translators and those people around us. Fast forward a few years when we finally had a church for the first time in our village, uh, we began uh, discipling and walking alongside and they began, the health, they began being the health teachers out in the village. And so that began my, that began my heart's work as I'm having babies I'm having a nursing child and I'm sitting in the room with about 10 different ladies, some men and talking about health and talking about what they could teach in the village and then began sending them out. So it took a long time to be able to start churches. I mean, we're starting from a point where these villages, no one had ever heard the name of Jesus, had no concept of anything about a God who loves them. So we were starting from scratch. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to tell people, especially when they go out to new places to share the gospel, it was eight years until we saw fruit, like spiritual wow. fruit. And we spent eight years teaching health, developing an organization, and not seeing the fruit of that. And during that time, there was a lot of discouragement because of that. And we actually felt pressure from other believers, like, you just you just want help to meet physical needs. You don't want to help them spiritually. And that wasn't true. Mm-hmm. But God had a plan. It was a slower plan than the human plan. <laughs> and what are some of those obstacles for the people to accept Jesus? Because I'm sure there are just so many different things in their culture built into the way they're day in, day out, the the way they live their lives mm-hmm. that just are so, it seems so strange to them to think there's a God who loves me and there's a, a, a man named Jesus who's also God and he died for me. So what are yeah. some of the barriers for them to Wow. You know, now, 20 years later, I totally understand and see it. Back then, I'm like, are you crazy? Of course you need to receive Jesus, you know? But now I'm like, whoa. For them, it seemed irrational. First of all, they had idols. They have idols in their home, idols out front. There were spirits. Many people had seen these spirits. They named these spirits. These are things they worship they could physically see. And you want me to believe in something I don't see? So at the beginning, we got a lot of nods and and yeses because people were hoping for food or medicine or help or even learn English or, you know, there are other motives. So it was really hard at the beginning to figure out who was open and who was not. And, you know, trying to pick fruit from a tree that doesn't yet know how to develop fruit. I just felt like we, for a long time, they're a believer. Yes, let's disciple them. And they're, you know, (laughs) it's just clueless. They've grown up since they were a small child being taught how to bow down to idols, how to bow down to the monks when they come on the street, that these evil spirits will kill them if they don't feed them every morning. These are things that are taught from day one. How do they feed so the evil spirit? What do you mean? They, they actually put tables out and every night, every morning, coffee, drinks, and the spirits come from their ancestors. But here's an interesting story. This is a good one. I figured out how or why that began because we were going back to the beginning when we were teaching health in the village with my translators. I had an older woman uh, to ask me after she accepted Christ, I'd like to go teach the old ladies in this village. And that's, you know, the old women never accepted Christ back then. Only some small or only some like university students or younger people. But I thought that's great. So I was praying with her. She went out and began sharing the Old Testament stories. And she shared about um, Ezekiel when he talks about hell and the fires of hell. And the group started whispering and talking. And I look at her and I said, what are they talking about? She said, they know, they know about Ezekiel. They know about that. That's the dreams they have. That's why they're feeding their ancestors. But they were using it to say, that's why we have to do that. They're screaming out. Our, you know, My father, he died, but they're screaming out. They're naked. They're in, in heat. And they're tr- calling out for water, just a drip of water. And so we have to give them, they don't have anything where they are. You know, so that was shocking. Right. There truly is evil calling out to them. And um, after realizing that, I I just realized this isn't an intellectual battle. It's a spiritual battle. Mm -hmm. And the amazing part is, is Cambodians are very spiritual. We don't have to tell them how to be spiritual We just have to lead them to the truth. And God, at the beginning, especially, and even now, God leads them through. He reveals himself through many dreams, visions. Uh, There's things like that going on. But one of the most amazing things, too, that village we all began in, the village that now has that water filter factory, Mm 
when we first came, there were about three or four believers who didn't really fully understand. And there were many sightings of evil spirits. There was demon possession, the horrible things going on, along with thievery and rape and um, just awful things. But fast forward to 10 years, 15 years, that church grew and grew to there's about 100 or more believers in that village now. And the, no one has seen an evil spirit in that area oh. in many years. No one, you know, the, the crime rate is low. All those things that just start dissipating and going away. And it doesn't happen in the other villages. And I think that that is amazing. So now that we have began that work in so many other villages and began churches in those areas, we get to watch that huge transition mm-hmm. in the lives of the people. Wow. It's amazing. Yeah. I, oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, can you tell us about your afraid, like we're to talk about afraid not. What is your, what is something that's happened there that has like kind of changed everything or, or made things where you had to really like every day over there, I'm sure you have to like totally hold on to what you believe, but what do you have a story that you can share with us? Yeah. Yes. There's been many hard times over the years and I feel like trials come and go. And then once you've endured one trial, there's a sense of peace and rest, but there's always a trial ahead mm-hmm. <laughs> throughout the years. I'm, I really understand what Paul talked about when he talked about the tribulation and temptations and sufferings that he went through. I relate to that because over the years uh, we have experienced that ourselves. Um, one of the first experiences is I've talked a lot about my partner that we worked with out here, the family. They had four kids and um, he was a PhD uh, chemist, but he passed away suddenly out here. And um, that was probably our biggest hurdle. Let's go back. When I talked about being here for seven um, to eight years and not seeing any fruit, the eight year mark, it's when we we're here for eight years, he passed away suddenly, had a sudden heart attack. And um, when he did, he had flown to Bangkok to get something checked. He knew something wasn't right. And he passed away in Bangkok by himself. So mm-hmm. his wife and his children were here. And that was probably the worst day of our lives, <laughs> having to um, tell them about the about oh. him passing. Sure. It was very hard. Yeah. So he passed away in Bangkok. We t- had to tell his family. And then um, we had to fly with his um, his wife and children to Thailand. Over here in Asia, if someone passes away, it's the responsibility of friends and family to prepare the body and to go do all that. You know, they don't have the the businesses that we have in America that help us with that. And um, so we did that. Um, At this time, I had had three children, three children. Yeah. Okay. So um, I was just busy with little kids and a newborn. And um, I can remember right after preparing the body and doing all that, we got back on a plane. Again, we got in the plane with his wife and four children and had to return back to pack them up, send them back to America and and see the, the church. Um, this is the this was a very difficult flight back home. Mark and I in tears just looked at each other and said, we cannot face the new believers in this village. How are they going to believe in Jesus now? You know, they're very spiritual. They see this as spiritual. You know, we can't encourage them. I, we have nothing to share. We were so brokenhearted. So we get off that plane that day and it was an evening and we get off the plane, we walk out and all of a sudden the whole church from that village is standing outside on near the tarmac waiting for us. So we walk out and that was kind of a surprise. We didn't have cell phones back then. That was a surprise. We walk out, we see them and the leader walks up to us and he says, you know, God spoke to us and this man, he was our Moses, but we're Joshua and we're going to take the word out. Wow. Determined. We were like, what? So we're crying, hugging them. I was like, oh, thank you, God. <laughs> so um, wow. it's like God hit a fast forward <laughs> button that day on because they were ready. And when, when before they were scared to leave their village, scared to share their faith scared to cross over on a, a river that was next to us to tell tell others in other villages, scared of everything. So God had just changed their hearts. And that's when the church began growing. So, so this one incident that you thought was going to just implode everything was the thing that was the catalyst for them to go, no, we're on yes. fire now. Yes. And I can see every time of suffering, that has that is what it's been. Very painful, very hard. But when we endure to the end, the fruit is more than anyone could have ever planned or done. Hmm. Wow. 
It's so amazing. So what are some things that we as Americans can, can do for you all in Cambodia or for foreign missions? Like what are some practical things that you all need? Practical things. I would say that there's nothing like physical that we need from America. We're able to get the medicines and the basics that we need here. And a lot of the work is now being done by Cambodian and Asian believers. And we're working alongside many other nationalities at this point doing that, which is really exciting because believers are leaving um, all countries from China to Korea to many other countries. So we're working alongside with plenty of those kinds of people. And the only thing I would ask probably to send back to the American church is going back to what the decision that Mark made is that idea of surrender. Just the idea of after being in Asia 20 years, um, I'll tell a quick story of when we, after our friend had passed away and we began discipling that church and we got to the book of Acts and they read for the first time, I think it's in Acts chapter two, maybe verse 42. You may want to double check me on that, <laughs> but um, it talks about the very first church and it begins with, uh, they were devoted to each other and to the word, and they met together daily. And the, when they read that, they looked at us and said, why did you tell us to meet on Sunday? It says to meet together daily. And <laughs> we had to really step back and say, well, what do you think? And they said, the church needs to meet together daily. And I can say that I that was night and day change for me spiritually. Because the church, instead of being a Sunday time that made us feel happy, it was, an, it became its own life, like an organism. I mean, it's kind of an odd word, but it became this life. It's just, God was in everything from that point. And that's what was so exciting. And um, everybody would meet about five o'clock in the evening and bring food over. Everybody would bring food from their homes, whatever they had. Everyone would eat together, laugh, fellowship. Then we'd know of somebody who was sick or demon possessed. And we would actually go as a big group into their home. And we would sit for an hour or two praying, singing. And then if they weren't better, we'd go the next night and the next night and the next night until they're healed. And then we'd go to somebody else's house. But it was just this one mind and one body. It, very exciting time. And it still is. Most of the villages that we teach in also have daily church. Some of them meet in the morning first thing for prayer before they start the day and do the evening church. But, um, and I understand America is so different. We have, we come from far away to our church. Uh, we have busy lives. But what excites me the most is the, the surrender, the idea that God and church isn't part-time. It's actually full-time. And then whatever we do to sustain ourselves, that's part-time. And that's the way the Asian believers I'm meeting, that's the way they live their life. They, they may not, they don't have a salary to do what they're doing, but just as Paul was a fisherman, they have some things they're doing on the side, but their full-time job is to share the gospel and to get it out there and to help those in need. And that's something I've loved. And that's probably what's gotten me through about 21 years here, still wanting to be in Asia. I don't know where God will have us in the future, but hopefully on the side of the world, we love it. Mm. And I remember you, you shared with me in a recent conversation I got to have with you that you truly love where you live and your children love where you live you're not just pining away thinking oh if only we could just go back no your your hearts are rooted right yeah very rooted and and I think it's just it's the things I'm talking about it's like I guess when I'm in the states I enjoy I love family and I love friends but life is just so busy and a lot of the conversations are things that don't have nothing to do with God and I guess the that living here and being here for so long, I love most of our conversations being spiritual. I like how different it is. It's very uncomfortable. It's hot, <laughs> but it's 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 beautiful. And people's lives, you know, people are all around us. And it's just sitting down for a coffee and a tea a couple of times a day and talking about Christ. It's that kind of stuff. So it's just very rewarding and enjoyable. I love yeah. it. Will you give us a little bit of a taste of, of what the Khmer language sounds like? Like sure. maybe just say whatever you might want, like a greeting of your name and introducing yourself to someone. How would that sound? Okay. Chamrip Sua, Kyom Chamo An, Kyom Mien Kon Bo Nat. 
So I said, hello, my name is Anne and I have four children. <laughs> wow. That's, a, that's really cool. That's yeah. <laughs> do your children go to like an American type school or do they go to a Cambodian school? No, um, our first 15 years here, we lived in the city and they attended an international university with other uh, people from other countries. Now uh, we've lived out here for the six years near the Vietnam border and there are no schools. So they're doing online school only. So right now in this province, in this area, we're the only uh, like foreigner Christian workers, though we do have a family uh, joining us in about a month and our kids are good friends. So we're so excited about that. That is so exciting. Wonderful. Oh my goodness. And I love how you post things um, every now and then about how we can specifically pray. And one of the things just caught my eye, I think it was two days ago, and I joined in praying for the people in that village that you were spending time with. And the mm. uh, there was a specific situation, you praying in a school. And I just love mm-hmm. that. That's one way we can connect. We can yeah. pray. And the prayers that we are joining with whatever work God is putting on your heart. That's, mm-hmm. that's a really cool thing that a part of the kingdom of God that, although I can't see that right now where I am, God takes those prayers and God is working. Mm-hmm. And that's way beyond my brain to comprehend, <laughs> but yes. it's so beautiful that that's mm-hmm. how he works. Mm-hmm. And that's, that is truly what we need. We do need prayer. I feel like God's heart is to unite the American church with the Cambodian believers, with the Asian believers. He wants all of us involved and um, it challenges all of us. And I think that that's what's exciting. And please do put my connection to my Facebook page um, underneath in the comments so that people can friend me on Facebook and there's a private group that I can um, jo- that you could join and then uh, be a part of our prayers here. And the work that you saw most recently that I'm beginning is um, it's a people group here that um, actually people don't want us working with. Um, They have a different belief. Um, They're Muslim. And this group has about, um, there's about a million people in this group and they do not have a church. There's only a few uh, known believers, but they're not strong disciple believers. They're very quiet. So, um, but the amazing part is God put us here uh, far out, six hours from a city And some of those people live out this direction and they're far from their training centers and the schools that um, put law on top of them. And therefore, they've been very open to invite me in. Uh, They love the health teaching. And I've been able to meet some physical needs out there and really share. So I've yet to see anyone come to faith, but um, that's going to take prayer and it's going to take some time. This people group is much harder to reach than the ones I've been working with the Buddhists previously. Mm-hmm. So it's a challenge and they have a whole other language. Fortunately, some of them speak the Khmer language. So I'm using that in my health classes, but I'm going to have to learn their language to be able to share the truth. So yes, that wow. is a huge prayer request. So if you join my group, then you can see yeah, those we'll updates. That, and then we'll put it in the show notes as well. Okay. We, what, is the, what is the name of it? Oh, um, well, you would befriend me because I have to let people in individually. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. So just put that down in the notes. We will. Well, we don't want to keep you too long. We know you're just starting out your day there. So and the, the typical day probably has so many things in it that are, are different than what we would do here. So there is no typical for us. It is so strange. And we work alongside, uh, we lead other teams. So there are other people from America that we lead. So that puts us traveling to the Phnom Penh, the main city for six hours. And then uh, about eight hours away is another city where people live that we're overseeing and watching their work. So anyways, we spend a lot of time traveling a lot of time, sometimes with our kids, sometimes not. And um, yeah, so every day is different. So today our partners are coming in um, Cambodian partners from where the filter factory is and all this work began and they're coming out this way. We're going to be meeting together, doing some Bible study together and following up some, with some churches that we hadn't seen in a while. We drive out a couple hours and see those places. So 
that's happening. And then, yeah, things like that. But every day is different. Every Some days are at home, some days in the village and so on. Wow. Well, I'm just so uh, inspired by your walk with the Lord and with just in this story. I'm so grateful that you shared. And it also makes me desire to be obedient to the Lord and whatever he puts in front of me each moment, whatever the day holds, that I want to be obedient. And thanks for the example you set in being obedient and just the joy that you see. Um, We see it on your face, the joy that the Lord's given you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time, Anne. And God bless you and your family. We love you. God bless you. Love you guys too. Bye. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening today to our conversation with Anne. We hope you were blessed by her story and the amazing things that she shared with us. Something that I think we can all relate to on whatever level, wherever you are today, is that the trials of our life come and go. And often when we go through the trials and we trust God through them, often the most beautiful fruit comes from that. And we see it after we make it through the trial. So I just wanna encourage you wherever you are today, if you're in a trial, keep trusting in the Lord, keep having your faith in Him. He will get you through it and there will be rewards at the end of the trial. He will bring you His peace. And for the American church, we need to remember to surrender, that that's what people overseas are needing from us is a surrender to really find out what's going on over there. And um, if we're being called to go, then we need to go. And we need to make sure we're praying for people overseas, especially with everything going on in the world right now. Um, We will put her link to her social media on our show notes. So make sure to look for that if you want to follow them. And make sure you subscribe and rate and review and follow us and tell your friends. And we will see you back again in two weeks. Bye, everybody.